You're listening to Well Made, a podcast from Lumi about the people and ideas that are shaping our patterns of consumption for the better. I'm your host, Stefan Ango. Simon Huck, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. You're the founder of Judy. Um, Judy is a company that just launched back in January, I think, end of January. Is that right? It's unbelievable to say, and I'll and I'll say that I am the co-founder of Judy, and we began developing Judy over eighteen months ago, and then launched the third week of January. And you are providing a very timely uh, product emergency preparedness kits. Tell me a little bit about what made you want to go down this rabbit hole at first, and what made you want to take that and turn it into a company. So my co-founder and I, Josh, we are both Canadian. We've known each other for over a decade. And we just had so many friends um, and some family members, both in Canada and the U.S. I have a lot of friends who live in California, many of whom went through the campfire uh, in 2018, lost homes, kind of suffered trauma, you know, anxiety, displaced themselves from, from their homes for upwards of six months. I have friends uh, on the Atlantic coast who've been through hurricanes. And then I have friends, um, even myself, who've been in situations where there's been domestic emergencies, household fires. And the common denominator in all of these stories, you know, one of the first questions you ask someone is, oh, what did you do? When the emergency hit, where did you go? Who did you speak to? How did you communicate this with your family? And the common denominator in all of these stories was a fundamental lack of preparedness. It was almost like when you asked the question, you know, their, their face went blank because it wasn't something that they had ever considered before. 60% of American families have no emergency plan or supplies in place in the event of an emergency. And what was it that uh, they had to deal with as a result of not being prepared? Can you describe like what typically goes wrong in those situations? Well, it can be anything from anxiety to, um, obviously, on, on the more serious cases, you know, loss of life, loss of personal property, loss of memories. And then, you know, some of the most traumatic things that happens after an emergency, let, for example, let's say a wildfire, when you evacuate your home, and if you have kids, obviously leaving your home in a moment's notice is traumatic enough. But if you haven't taken the time to prepare and you don't have let's say, an emergency document folder, which every preparedness emergency manager in the country will tell you you need to have, which includes your health information, your passport, an extra set of keys, your health insurance information, all of those important documents, suddenly you've lost your home and you're now dealing with hundreds upon hundreds of hours of paperwork and information that you don't have that is available. So you don't realize all the things you need because we're so used to having everything so immediately accessible. So there's so many different kinds of emergencies that could happen. There's, you know, obviously all of the different natural disasters, like floods, fires, earthquakes. Uh, here, I mean, I'm based in Los Angeles, so earthquake is probably the one that's most top of mind. I'm not s- super close to where the fires are happening. Right. But there's there's all kinds of other things. Obviously, we're, we're dealing with a pandemic right now, there's tsunamis, there's volcanoes, everything could, anything could happen. How do you go about choosing a set of items that in any of those scenarios uh, could be helpful? What was your process there? 
Well, I think you nailed it when you said it. And that's, for me personally, I found the whole idea of preparation to be mentally daunting. I'm a person that loves to ruminate on things. I am definitely an anxious person. So if you give me an inch, I'll take the mile and I'll just kind of go into the anxiety spiral. Oh, I I should be prepared for earthquakes. I should also be prepared for wildfires. I should be prepared for household fires. Oh, my fiance doesn't know where the fire extinguisher. Oh my gosh, he doesn't know how to work the fire extinguisher. Suddenly you're like, okay, there's so many things I could prepare for. And this is what happens to so many families across the country is once you start thinking of all the things, you shut down completely to the entire category. It almost becomes too overwhelming. So what we really practice and, and um, preach at Judy is making sure that these are small, um, laser-focused things that you can do that don't overwhelm you. So one of the first things you can do, even before buying an emergency kit or assembling your own emergency kit, is making a plan with your family, You know, talking about who is the at-a-state contact, Where do you go if you can't return back to your home? Who is the emergency contact for your for your family? And um, how do your kids communicate with each other if they didn't have access to a telephone? I mean, there's so many different things that you can talk about. And what's great about Judy and what we've seen in the short eight weeks that we've launched is Judy as a physical product has become the centerpiece for these conversations. So we're talking about really scary stuff. It's even scary for me to talk to my fiance about, you know, what do we do if we have to evacuate in the middle of the night? You know, we have to practice an evacuation drill. And what's so remarkable is that we do these preparedness nights around the country where we go into parents' homes and they invite their friends over and we talk to them about emergency preparedness. And most of the time, the kids kind of slither in from wherever they are in the home and they eavesdrop on what's going on. And they know more information about emergency preparedness than their parents, because in our schools, it's mandated. Most of the parents we asked in Southern California about proper earthquake procedure, they didn't know what to do. They were drop, cover, and move. Like They didn't know any of the the proper procedures, and their kids knew more than they did. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> but I think, I mean, it, it, like you said, it's it can be so overwhelming that it almost, because of the number of different things that could happen, some people just sort of give up on having a plan for it or doing anything about it. Well, and that's, and I think some of the challenges around messaging in emergency preparedness is when someone tells me make a plan, it feels so abstract. It's like, I need a checklist. I need a one to five checklist. So that's what we spent the last 18 months doing. How do we idiot proof emergency preparedness and get people to pay attention? And that's, that's the biggest challenge is most people think that emergencies aren't going to happen to them so they don't prepare or they think if an emergency does happen, there's absolutely nothing you can do to prepare for it so they don't do anything. So those are our two big challenges um, leading into the launch of Judy. I'm sure you saw this um, TED talk that Bill Gates gave like four or five years ago about oh. a pandemic. <laughs> it's been going around, it's being shared everywhere, but he was describing how the United States and the world was not prepared for a pandemic and here were the four or five things that we should do 
we should, you know, uh, be prepared to mobilize the military. We should, you know, have all of, we, we should do all of these things. And essentially, like, he was creating this checklist for the government, really, of like what we need to do. Right. And it kind of feels like we didn't follow it. And there's been so many stories that have come out just over the past few weeks of plans that the Obama administration put together for this case that were not followed. And so how do you how do you tie those things together? There's one thing which is making the plan, then following it and keeping it up to date. So you have to change the whole mentality around preparing for emergencies and you have to make it something that becomes a part of your daily life. So it's all about small steps. And for me, this was so key, even in my journey around emergency preparedness, I would say in the beginning, as we were kind of in the first, you know, one to two steps of developing the brand, I was a little bit of a naysayer. I I kept saying to my co-founder, is this something that the everyday American family will do? How do we get them to pay attention? There are so many things that we read in a news cycle. How do we get them to pay attention to you know, rallying around preparedness because it's not, it's, listen, it's not a sexy topic. You're asking people to consider worst case scenarios for their family. And most people, including myself, do everything they possibly can to delay that conversation. Like, I don't want to talk about fire safety because I don't want to think about me ever being in a fire. Mm. And what was interesting, because we spoke to so many different people around the country, and I kept thinking, People in California are going to be thinking exclusively about wildfires. They're going to be thinking about earthquakes. What's interesting is that most people don't think of large-scale emergencies. That's not what keeps them up at night. They're thinking of domestic emergencies. They're thinking about the candle they lit in the living room is going to catch on fire. You know, a lot of people we speak to have anxiety around home safety, um, things that their kids could be consuming when they go to the backyard and they're not watching them for two minutes. So people's anxiety around emergencies are are so different and um, certainly kind of myth-busted all the expectations that we had going into it. So you launched this company at the end of January. COVID had already been going on in China, but hadn't really hit the U.S. On the one hand, it seems like people have never been more aware of preparedness and what is necessary on that side when you're dealing with such a crisis that we have. On the other hand, there's literally hundreds of thousands of people who are dying and coming out with a product like this at this particular time, I feel like some people might see it as like, you know, trying to take advantage. They don't know that you've been working on this right. for 18 months. Of course. Are you like taking advantage of this situation or something like that? And so how did you figure out or you must still be trying to figure it out right now. We're recording this early April, messaging that to to people, whether they're customers who bought your products early on or ones who are just discovering you right now. Well, it, this is the this is the question, and this is the conversation. To be honest, keeps me up at night uh, most nights over the last four weeks. How do you market an emergency kit? or talk about an emergency kit when you're going through one of the largest global emergencies of our generation. And we have been really, really careful to make sure that we are really a resource for people. We're trying to spread optimism. We're 
making sure that all of our emergency managers and our whole team are providing fact-based information. But it is such a challenge because you don't want to appear at all opportunistic, but you also have a product, a physical product, and also a digital product that is helping prepare people. You know, one of the things that Judy has is a digital content system, um, most of which is conveyed through text messages. So multiple times a week, we are sending messages to our subscribers, and it's completely free. This week, we sent a message out about picking a designated errand runner in your home. So if you're living in a home of four people, only one of those four should be going to the grocery store um, in an effort to minimize exposure. So our job at Judy is to make sure that we're providing fact-based, actionable information that will better prepare them for this current emergency versus our job is not to sell them Judy. Um, If anything, it's one of the first things we learned, Josh and I, when we were researching emergency preparedness. If you do anything, the most important thing you can do is educate yourself on what to do in an emergency and make a plan more so than buying a kit. I'm sure my investors would kill me for saying that, but but that's the truth. The education and the self-awareness and the knowledge, that will quite literally save your life. I have a friend. Um, she's also a reporter. We were sitting down to do a piece on Judy. This was uh, a week after launch, and she lives in Long Island. She has two beautiful babies, and she had recently renovated her Victorian home, and she had completely deconstructed her fireplace and built it back up again. And she lit a fire at 10 a.m. in the morning. Her two babies were asleep and she smelled smoke throughout the day. And she didn't think anything of it. She saw no flames. And around four o'clock, after the smoke appeared to be more dense, she could smell it in the kitchen. She opened two of the windows um, in her living room. And what you know about fire safety, what I know now about fire safety is when you do that, you actually fuel the fire. And what she didn't realize was that the fire had seeped out of her renovated chimney and was burning Um, the foundation. So within 20 minutes of her opening those windows, her entire home had burned down to the ground. And she had her two babies in her arms. She was in tears waiting for the firefighters to come and rescue her. And the experience is so traumatic. I mean, she, when you tell the story, you can't, you have tears in your eyes because it's such a traumatic experience. And this is a person, when I asked her, I said, had you ever thought about emergency preparedness? Had you ever talked about fire safety with your husband? And, you know, the answer was, of course, no, because so many of us tune it out. Yeah. And in that circumstance, having the knowledge is so much more important, probably, than anything that you could put in a box at that point in time. Right. And so what are the aspects of education that you're trying to focus on or how do you make that approachable? So what we learned was giving someone the manual does not work. It, it almost, and I'm, I'm the same way. You give me a manual, I'll look at the, the title page and I'm done. So we segment the tips and the information and we slowly deliver it over you know, a course of six to 12 months. So if you are a subscriber, we have over 30,000 subscribers at Judy. It's, again, it's completely free. We're not giving you all the COVID-19 information in one text message or in one video We're reminding you every week of here are some of the small things you can do to better educate yourself. And what we're hearing back from our community is this is working. Two families reached out to us last night on our social and said, we're sending us pictures of their designated errand runner in their home. And those are the kind of things that inspire us to keep going and to develop new content that inspires people for action. I mean, that's the whole goal. How do you get people 
to change their pattern of behavior around emergencies. And it's a, listen, before January 27th, the day we launched, Josh and I, my co-founder and I sat up and thought, you know, have we lost our minds? This has been an uphill battle getting Judy off the ground. You know, the hypothesis that American families or families all around the world are ready to be prepared for emergencies, are ready to take this leap. It was a bold um, vision. And from day two, we were so excited that it wasn't just our parents buying Judy's. It was people all around the country who said to us, wow, we haven't seen a product like this. Like this is rallying us around the mission to be prepared. Is there something you wish, if you if you knew that this was coming, the, the, the coronavirus um, crisis, <laughs> would you have done anything differently? Like if you knew this eight months ago? It's a, it's a great question. I don't know if we would have done anything differently because our principles and our mission haven't changed. Um, if anything, we've, we've clamped down on them. Sharing optimism and sharing news that is fact-based will always be Judy's core mission. I think one of the things you're seeing during this large-scale emergency is hysteria. You're seeing panic purchasing, and you're also seeing a lot of rampant misinformation that's leading to anxiety. So one of the things we reminded our Judy you know, tribe last week, our 30,000 subscribers, was get rid of the people in your text chains who are sending you all of this information that's not helpful, that's is kind of sending you into um, a negativity spiral. Like you really have to be responsible for the energy that's around you. And I know so many people, even people on our team, we need to take breaks from it. Um, it can be really daunting when you're in the middle of a, a quarantine. And there's some grieving that's going on. We're grieving our old life and we're grieving the tragedy that's around us. Yeah, you you mentioned the words fact-based, which is something that I feel like we've gradually thrown out the window as a society over the past however many 10 to 20 years or maybe more and I'm a big believer in in science and and we knew early on uh, just looking at what the response was in in places like South Korea or China that face masks quarantine these different things should be applied to the situation and it just took way too long for those things to uh, be put into practice it, and a lot of it was because people were ignoring the facts. And I, I wonder, do you think that this crisis is going to make people change their mind about that, look back and, and think maybe we should have been listening to looking at the facts or listening to the, the experts on this? Or I'm hoping that this will happen, but I don't know. I think that this will forever change, that there will be a, a fundamental shift on how we think and prepare for all future emergencies. And I think that based on what we're seeing with science and people from all around the world who are tuning in and actually listening, I mean, there is this kind of beautiful silver lining where we have seen people really um, listen. I mean, there are, of course, reports in the media of some people who are going against social distancing and the self-quarantining. But for the most part, when I look around New York City, I see deserted streets and avenues, and I see people who are staying indoors and taking care of their neighbors and checking on vulnerable people in their community. And every night at seven o'clock, I'm not sure where you're based, but in New York, you have this incredible outpouring mm -hmm. of love and support for um, healthcare professionals. There is really this rallying around. And one of the things we were talking about yesterday at Judy is 
everyone right now who is taking these steps are really letting us know that preparation and that emergency preparedness is something important to them because it's a domino effect by them staying in, in, indoors is helping us eradicate this disease. So we, we do believe that it will change how people prepare for emergencies and how people will think about science. And this, you know, regrettably, what we're seeing in this world around large-scale emergencies like wildfires and droughts and floods, it is, of course, hyper-connected to climate change. And every year that storms get worse and worse and they increase in duration and intensity, it's, it further um, illustrates the need for preparation. Yeah, and that's, that's the thing that I've been thinking about a whole lot, uh, especially as it relates to, to my work at Lumi on, on packaging and sustainability. And it's just, it's so daunting because it's happening in, in slow motion. This, this crisis that we're in right now is happening quite fast. And so it raises the level of emergency for everyone to like, oh, okay, I need toilet paper right now. Right. <laughs> but climate change is a gradual thing that's happening over the course of decades. And so and so people don't react quite as quickly. And, and, and that's, I mean, it's kind of what you've been describing, but how do we, I don't know, how do we help inform people when these things happen so slowly or they're happening in some distant unknown future, um, but you have to do the work right now? Well, and it's one of the reasons why my background in celebrities was so important for this mission uh, you know, in my other life, I've had an entertainment marketing company for the last 16 years, and I was very lucky to develop some incredible relationships with people, with this incredible network of, of people with big followings. Mm -hmm. And I did have this existential crisis where I thought, am I going to be shilling celebrities for the rest of my life? Like, what can I do that will have an impact? And I knew that these voices... Um, could be used and their followings could be used to really shout from the rooftop the importance of being prepared. And so many of these different celebrities who have supported Judy are living in areas where they've experienced evacuations, where they have seen fires come closer to their homes or in some cases ruin their homes. So no one is immune to it. It really is the great equalizer in terms of uh, vulnerability. Yeah, that's a really fascinating point. Where, where do you, um, what do you think the role of celebrities or is in terms of amplifying messages? I, I think that it can be a little hard to parse because on one hand, they're people, they have their own personal beliefs about different things. On the other hand, they have the ear of millions of people and can amplify messages, sometimes in a good or, or bad way. Um, but what do you think is, is their role in all of this? You know, one of the principles that we used when we started talking about Judy was our stance was clear. We care so much about preparation and emergency preparedness that we will do absolutely anything for you to listen. And if you look at the reports from FEMA and the Red Cross over the last 15, 20 years, they have point blank said we have failed to prepare Americans for emergencies. And part of the reason is because their focus is on so many other, you know, life-saving strategies and programs, but Americans and people globally don't want to hear about preparedness. So if we're able to use celebrities' voices, whether it's to buy 
uh, an emergency kit or assemble your own or just have some basic information on what you're vulnerable to in your area, you're one step closer to being prepared. One of the things you can do on Judy's website is type in your zip code and it auto-populates to what you're most vulnerable to and you can download the PDF and you can review it with your family. So if you live in Florida, you're vulnerable to hurricanes and storm surges and here are the three things you can do to prepare your home and prepare your family. Um, And that's been really important and we've been hearing back from our community who has been sharing that information and suddenly there is a movement. We we knew it was gonna take a ton of work and it was going to take um, a lot of people to be shouting from the rooftop. You partnered with the LA Fire Department Foundation as one of your launch partners and uh, are giving 1% of your sales to them. What's your long-term vision about how Judy can partner with you know, the people who are on the ground doing the actual relief efforts? So fire departments in general during the development of Judy were so instrumental. I mean, these are the frontline workers who are the first people to show up at a household fire as well as these large-scale emergencies. So they were really critical in helping develop the brand as well as so many other emergency managers um, across the country who helped us not only thoughtfully curate what goes inside of Judy, but helped us develop the content system around it. So giving back to them was just you know, it was something that we needed to do and felt compelled to do. And then during COVID-19, one of the things and the challenges is that in our emergency kits, we have N95 masks. And those masks were intended to protect and prevent from wildfire smoke. And immediately when we learned that hospitals around the country were in dire need of these masks, we donated 25,000 N95 masks to the New York State Department of Health. And then yesterday, we donated an additional 1,000 masks to the NYPD um, in New York City. So working with frontline healthcare professionals is so critically important. And as we continue to develop Judy, we're looking for more thoughtful, meaningful partnerships um, because it all is part of the kind of the greater movement. I mean, so many emergency managers across the country reach out to us and say, wow, what you're doing is so important. This is what we've wanted to do for so long, you know, emergency preparedness, you have to make it digestible for the everyday American in order for them to pay attention. So creating a product that is functional, but also visually appealing, um, that's part of the mandate. Judy's are becoming a part of people's lives. They're not just being thrown in their basement or in their pantry. And we knew that that was important, that in order for someone to purchase an emergency kit, it needed to fit in with their lifestyle or it would end up in the bottom of a pantry, you know, on top of the hockey bag. So we have lots more planned and, you know, we're eight weeks old and um, really excited for the future. It seems like every six months there's, there is some sort of major disaster of some kind somewhere in the world. And all of these organizations spring into action and, and there's always so much going on. It can be really difficult for a normal citizen who's you know not affected directly to figure out how can I be helpful in this particular time? Can I donate to some uh, organization? And you've got organizations like Red Cross or different uh, ones that are sort of global and working across many different areas. But sometimes it can be difficult to figure out 
who to donate to, who's going to actually be effective at spending those dollars in the right way. Is that something that you've explored at all or are thinking about helping or giving resources to people if they want to help but don't know how? It's a great question and it's something we have explored. Certainly during our donations during COVID, we spoke to a lot of people to make sure that we were giving supplies to the places that needed it the most and who could effectively um, distribute those supplies. So we worked with Governor Cuomo's office on the distribution of the 25,000 masks. And we knew, um, based on our conversations with them, that within a matter of hours, those masks would be immediately distributed to New York City hospitals um, that needed them most. So it's not just as easy as finding the organization, but it's making sure that how quick is the distribution and the implementation of some of these programs. You know, what you've seen in the past is some of these larger NGOs who have received huge donations. Years later, you see a warehouse filled with supplies that haven't been um, distributed. So you want to be careful and you want to make sure you do your diligence and speak to the um, the appropriate people and, and that the action can be really quick. So on our end, we, we've received those inquiries and we do our best to field them and, and share the relevant contact information when we can. How did all of this affect your supply chain? Because you're mentioning N95 masks are in, in your kit. You know, We know that all of the manufacturers of those have been trying to make them as fast as possible. Are you backordered? How are you figuring that out? We were... Um, lucky in the sense that we had launched two weeks before COVID-19, you know, hit the United States. So we had a significant amount of product already in stock, but it is definitely a challenge. We're working every day to source new partners um, to make sure we can keep up with demand. And we've also worked with other partners who are making donations to use our supply chain. We've helped other organizations who have wanted to make sizable donations to um, COVID-19 relief efforts, and we've allowed them to speak to our vendors directly and, and make those orders. Where do you see the range of kits going next? Because I can see it going in a lot of different directions. You could have fire extinguishers, medicine cabinets, car repair kits like i'm just trying to think of all the different areas of the house and and your environment that you could help with what are the things that you're or i could even see you going into like partnering with the insurance companies or yeah. something like that yeah like you could go in so many different directions i feel like you're in our minds that's so everything that you just mentioned is something we're already in development on so we have been speaking to insurance providers from a product perspective you can imagine the car kit has never been reimagined fireproof holders, pet kits, kits for college, everything that you can imagine that you want to prepare yourself for um, requires a whole new line of products. One of the things you see in a Judy is these shelf-stable emergency bars. And I'm not sure if you've ever had a shelf-stable emergency <laughs> bar, but not. well, let me tell you, they're not delicious. Okay, They're calorie dense and they work great for an emergency, but we have been working with a partner um, in Canada to develop our own Judy uh, meal replacement bar. And it is absolutely delicious. I can't stop eating it. I've actually had to remove it from my apartment. So that will be something that we're going to explore uh, in the next six months. And one thing which we're learning very soon after launch is that Judy will run on a subscription. So half of the items that are in your emergency kit are expirable. Uh, and the other half are consumable. So many of our customers have reached out to us and said, 
is there a way that we can put this onto a subscription where things that we use, you know, Band-Aids, um, Neosporin, um, some of the first aid products, batteries, can, is there a way that you could then replenish that every 12 months? So we're developing a, a Judy subscription, which we hope to launch in the next seven months. So lots of exciting products in the pipeline. For those items that are things that are not really possible for you to to ship exactly or things that people should have, I'm thinking of like um, water. If you, I mean, you could have bottled water and, and that kind of stuff, but if you really need enough water to <laughs> sustain yourself for a few days or, or a week or something, that's probably something on a different scale than what you would want to ship. Is that where you think of your educational tools as providing resources or how do people flesh out beyond what you're going to be able to provide? Well, exactly. So, so one of the things you'll learn when you get one of our Judy products is that if there is um, an emergency, a large scale emergency that may cut off your power, we give you all the different tools Mm. for you to start conserving some of that water. So the Judy safe, the cartridges come out and it can actually be used to host the water for up to, you know, three to four days. We're also in the next six months going to be selling water tablets that will clean your water for you. So you could, you could fill up your bathtub and you could use that water um, if you needed to. So there are so many different ways that you can work around products and re-envision and re um, and innovate different product categories. Do you think, so is ultimately um, the core concept that ties all of these things together is, is preparation? Is that what you would say? Or is there some other kind of theme? Absolutely. And um, I, I've noticed on, in your messaging as well, a big part of, especially what we're dealing with today is the mental health around, first of all, <laughs> just the basic situation that we're all living in, in quarantine and what that does to you over time. But then of course, there are, much more grave situations that people are dealing with, loved ones dying and and just the general kind of situation that we're dealing with. Where do you see that fitting in? You know, there, I, I think from the mental health perspective, so many of us right now during this kind of national uh, global emergency are facing this turmoil in our heads, in our minds. And Judy has become a resource of tips and tricks and hacks to really unplug yourself from some of that anxiety. So a lot of our tips and a lot of our resources are focused on that mental health because for so many people who are um, staying in their home, if you're watching the news every day and you're reading online incessantly and you're on all these group chats, it plays such an exhausting mental toll. So uh, Judy's mandate is to provide some resources to alleviate some of that anxiety. It's it's such an interesting paradox that you're you're selling a product that you hope no one ever has to use, right? Right. And so that's such a a strange kind of thing that I mean I don't think I've interviewed anyone on this show that has ever had that kind of like combination of things, and I just wonder how how you do what what are the the best practices there? Well, and you're you're selling a product you hope people don't have to use, but um, a lot of the people who have Judy's are actually unboxing the Judy and making it a part of their daily life. So many of the parents that we spoke to, they have kids who are under the age of 10 and are using Band-Aids in their first aid kit, you know, twice a week. Mm-hmm. Some of the things and the tips that we're providing to our community involve unboxing some of the products and putting them in various spots in your home. So we recommend that 
anyone who's living in a home should have shoes underneath their bed, a whistle by their bedside table, and a flashlight. So what happens is you start to unbox the Judy. So again, it's not stuck in the pantry or in the closet, but there is various products that are used throughout your home. So yes, it gives you the peace of mind that if something did happen, you know, a worst case scenario, you would be protected and you would have some of the physical products. Um, but many of the people who are using Judy in their day-to-day life just like to know that they have a daily resource for preparedness. Yeah. And I think that that is maybe what, you know, once you're prepared, if preparedness is the theme, once you're prepared, that feeling of peace of mind or of confidence that you know what to do in that situation is is what you would hope for. Yep, exactly. For me, like, my lifestyle luckily hasn't been, you know, radically uh, affected by the current situation. But there's a bunch of skills that I've taught myself over the past few years, like how to can foods or how to like prepare meals on, on a larger scale that have come in like really handy for me over the past few weeks. And that has made me feel like with my friends or close group of family, like a resource that I can share my knowledge with them. And it's brought us together in certain ways. And I think I liked what you were saying early on about assigning captains to different things and having them be the source of knowledge for a certain piece of, of how we work together to deal with a specific crisis that might happen. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think one of the things that we do at Judy is play is provide a lot of scenarios around how some of these products could help you. Some of the moms and parents we speak to in California live in the Hollywood Hills or they live in the Palisades and they have really bad Wi-Fi. And during the last bout of wildfires there, they would lose their Wi-Fi throughout the, throughout the evening and they had major anxiety around how they would get the emergency alert. So this is when the hand crank radio comes in. When I first started learning about a hand crank radio, I had no idea what a person, you know, what a person would would need a hand crank radio for. But suddenly you're using your hand crank radio to receive an emergency alert so you can actually go to bed at night and have the the radio by your bedside table and not have the anxiety that you're going to miss your alert because you don't have Wi-Fi. So I think that's part of our, our duty and our challenge is to make sure that the community understands that these products do play a role in your life and just as big of a role as, as the education component. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about how some of your background in PR and, and working with celebrities that y- you mentioned a little bit of, but how that has informed the way that you're approaching Judy. And one of the big challenges that a lot of e-commerce companies are dealing with right now is that the acquisition costs um, are getting higher and higher, especially if you're using Facebook or Instagram ads to reach out to people. And we're already seeing um, a lot of companies experimenting more with influencer marketing and even even more so right now. And so I'm curious, like maybe putting your PR hat on, how you would advise founders who are trying to do this for the first time? Because you've built these friendships it seems like with with incredible celebrities who are willing to talk about your products but anyone else who comes to them you know it would be quite costly to have them promote those products and and maybe there's something there maybe there's something about those relationships that uh, you built in a more genuine fashion that founders could could learn from 
Well, I'll say, and I've said this a few times before, people who are posting about Judy, if I have a, a, a friendship with them, obviously that is the turnkey solution to um, having someone support your brand. But I'll say that most of the people who have been supporting Judy do so because they're coming from a place where they have experienced an emergency. So Judy's mission to prepare uh, American families and all families to be prepared for these emergency situations, that appeals to them. So in some ways, I almost look at these social posts or um, odes of support as public service announcements. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the people that have supported Judy in the last month have been evacuated from their homes three times in the last three years. So someone who's been evacuated from their home knows that something like Judy, just the conversation around Judy could help prepare other families. So I would encourage other founders when they're designing their brand, when they're building their brand identity to make sure that there is some sort of greater mission. And I think, listen, tons of DDC brands do a great job of that. I think Judy for me was just, it was such an obvious fit because I had all of these relationships and so many of the people who I had spoken to had been personally affected by emergencies. So it really felt like a natural fit. So I encourage other founders to make sure when they're designing their brand to to have that mission um, that will appeal to people. Um, Because I don't think you need to, you know, not every brand needs to pay celebrities or influencers. Certainly in the beginning, I think it's disingenuous to pay. You should really be looking for evangelists and people who believe in what you're creating. Um, And I think oftentimes consumers are just so much smarter now. So when they see hashtag ad, uh, especially in the the beginning of a brand's launch, it really takes away from the message. Traditionally, most companies start by sort of building a product and then building their audience on top of that. But more and more, we're seeing these brands that go the other way around. They start by building an audience and, and sort of like, I think Judy is a good example of this. You have this existing uh, follower base that you can speak to. And this audience first approach is very fascinating. We saw it with um, Glossier as a good example, Kylie and, and her cosmetics brand. Do you think that that's a pattern that we're going to see more of? Absolutely. Because it, it, it makes sense to the person who has started the audience. So in Kylie's case, she had developed an audience of people who were interested in learning about her beauty tips and following her daily beauty routine. So the obvious next step would be for them to also want to purchase products that Kylie are using and that Kylie has designed herself. So it, you know, it feels like that will be probably uh, a model that's going to be used for years to come. Um, But I'll say that building an audience is not as easy to do as many people think it is. And developing an audience that's actually engaged enough to purchase product, I mean, that's a a whole other story. Explain that. Uh, I would love for you to dig into that nuance there. Well, I think in influencer culture, you see a lot of people who have built large followings. But if the following is not rooted in something that is meaningful and genuine, Um, you're not getting the type of engagement and conversion you need in order to develop a meaningful brand. And just to switch gears, we see this all the time in my other business, in my marketing business. If we're activating a brand campaign for a CPG company, 
sometimes a, uh, a celebrity who has 200,000 followers will sell 10 times the amount of product that a macro level influencer or celebrity when the millions would sell because their audience is hyper engaged. Mm. And that is something we're seeing more and more of. So I, I think someone having a large following doesn't always equate to a hyper engaged community. And what what is it that you see as a commonality between those people who have a very engaged community? Well, I think we've been saying it since the, since the beginning, but being authentic and genuine, you can't fake it. You can't fake it. Being your authentic self on social media, I think all of us right now who are listening know of someone who they follow on Instagram. And when they see a post, you get a sense of um, this isn't the real them. When that happens, they may still be able to develop a sizable following, but it's, it doesn't compare to, and I think we can use the Kardashians as a great example, the Kardashians are 100% authentically themselves. Kim especially has been someone who stayed true to her vision since day one and hasn't changed course. And that, of course, is a reflection of her following, which has continued to grow and continued to support her. I think one thing that we've seen a lot with influencers lately, um, I see it a lot with people on on YouTube in particular. The first step is is merch, like going to like just t-shirts and posters and stickers and those types of things that are easy to do. And building a product is 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 quite challenging. Building an audience, I think people who who are building audiences are underestimating how hard it is to build a product and, and vice versa. Right. Um, and so that's the part that I'm most curious about as we go towards these audience first brands, which ones actually are able to get that knowledge and create something that is unique on the market that, that has, that has value on its own. And I'm curious if there's, there's anything that you learned in that process that you would, you'd want to share. Well, I think you need to find a product or a brand that really speaks to you and is completely genuine to you and would be genuine to your community. What I see is a lot of influencers um, and celebrities who jump into a category, potentially because their manager or their team or a friend has, has encouraged them to do so, but you can tell that the category isn't authentic to them. And we see this all the time in commercial endorsements. You know, the best endorser is someone who actually uses the product. I know it sounds ridiculous and almost obvious, but so many celebrities have been compelled to enter into the beauty space because they see it as this Mm. kind of blockbuster space that everyone's going into. But if they're not a beauty, if they're not a beauty person and they they don't uh, practice what they preach, their audience knows that. Um, So you really need to take the time to find your passion and find what is most authentic to you because um, you cannot build a brand. It is impossible to build a brand if you're not 100% living and breathing it every day. Yeah, and that goes a lot far beyond just an endorsement because, I don't know, in- endorsements, I guess, are relatively low uh, effort. Uh, maybe some are more than others, but when you compare an endorsement to I'm going to 
build a company and this is going to be like right. the blood, sweat and tears of five years of work uh, later, uh, I think you would find that that is, is quite a different kind of investment. Um, so choosing that wisely seems really important. And, and I agree with you that it seems natural for a lot of people who've built a following to go into cosmetics or if you're a fitness person, make power bars or something right. like that. But um, maybe it's the, the thing that's not so obvious you know, one step removed from that, that might be more powerful or more valuable or more interesting in the market. Yeah. And take your time finding out what that is. I have friends who've had a following for several years and they're just not sure what that brand is that's going to come from that following, but they have enjoyed the experience and they're not ready to commoditize that community. Like they're not ready to turn this into a business because they haven't found it yet. And I don't think, and I think because of Instagram and the way that we we use it, you feel compelled. You have this anxiety to immediately turn whatever you've developed into a business. But I would encourage would-be founders to take their time. If they've developed a following, keep nurturing that following until you find your passion. Well, um, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom <laughs> with us. Uh, Judy.co is your website. If people want to find out more, where should we send them? Either Judy.co or uh, our Instagram, which is Ready, Set, Judy. Exciting. Uh, well, we'll be following you and finding out <laughs> you know, over the next few years um, how, how you develop from here. But best of luck. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, if you got something useful out of it, I would love to hear what that was. Consider writing a short review, could be just a sentence long, by going to iTunes and searching for Well Made. I want to hear it all. I want to hear good, bad. I want to hear your constructive criticisms. I am just trying to make this show as useful as possible for you. So tell us what you think. That is the very best way that you can support the show. Thanks, and see you next time.